You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Masterclass. Um, As promised, every Wednesday we bring you a masterclass and it is so key that you also let us know um, what it is that you would like to engage with. And um, it is an opportunity for us to immerse ourselves with a specialist, with an expert, with an aficionado, um, someone who's really immersed in a particular topic, who's done the proverbial <laughs> 10,000 hours. And we just simply get an hour of this knowledge on a particular matter. Um, so it's a masterclass and it happens every Wednesday. You can send an email, azania at 702.co.za, if you'd like to propose a topic. So a couple of weeks ago, you know, just trolling and loitering on YouTube, don't ask. I came across an entire YouTube channel that is devoted to the work that has been done um, around masculinity in South Africa. Um, and it, 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 I'll share the details a little bit later, but if you look for the page Masculinity and Health Research Unit, on YouTube, you'll be able to come across some of the videos that they have created. And I thought that's one a wonderful way of making research live differently, because we know that today's society um, enjoys consuming video and picture. Hence, of course, Instagram and you and platforms like YouTube doing particularly well. Um, and so this is a different way of engaging, of interacting with research. And what's also great is that this is South Africa specific research with the minds, the intellects, the researchers, the academics involved in the work. So I thought this is a, a wonderful way of uh, sharing this work in a way that um, audiences are able to to uh, engage with um, instead of maybe the intimidation that many people might feel uh, when they have to read research papers and so on. So it was novel in that way. But what was also compelling about this is that it focused on families as a means of achieving gender equality. The reality is that gender equality begins at home and families are at, at the front lines of this change. And for the next generation, the examples that are set at home by parents, by caregivers and extended family, those examples are going to shape the way that the next generation think about gender and equality. Um, we are the products of the homes that we grew up in, right? So there's a lot to uh, to unlearn. There's a lot to also uh, give ourselves grace about, but there's also an opportunity for us to learn new ways. And so this afternoon, we're delving into a question that actually came up in the Masculinity and uh, Health Research Unit's video. They say that we know more about how inequality is happening in families. We know more about that, but... How much do we, how much do we know? We actually know far less about how equality is happening in families. And that is perhaps where we can spend more of our time learning about how um, egalitarian families are, are going about this because this has an impact of our understanding and of our values around masculinity, femininity, values and understanding of gender and gender roles. And so joining us this afternoon for the masterclass is a man who's done immense work in this arena, Professor Kopano Radele. He is a professor of psychology now at Stellenbosch University. I just learned that a few moments ago that he's joined Stellenbosch as of the 1st of July. 
Um, and some of his life's work include men and uh, masculinities research for many, many years. He was at uh, the Institute for Social and Health Sciences at UNISA. And he joins us this afternoon to discuss this very issue about what is happening within our homes and what we can do differently in order to create more gender equal society. Professor, good afternoon and thank you so much for giving us your time this afternoon. Afternoon, Azani. I'm looking forward to talking to you. It's been a long while. Yes. Um, I didn't know that you moved to Stellenbosch. What does that mean for the research and the work that you've been doing um, as part of this research unit in UNISA? Well, I'm, I'm going to plug my, my new home. Uh, I'm looking to have a lot of, mo mostly, but not only, black students, females, uh, other genders. And, and men uh, at Stellenbosch. Uh, I'm looking to do um, perhaps even much more with the kinds of support that Stellenbosch seems to give to research and this, this sort of work. Mm -hmm. So they have been caught in me for a long while, Stellenbosch. Uh, eventually, I thought this would be the best place for the kind of work that I want to do for the rest uh, of my career, which is uh, another 15 to 20 years of work. Uh, and, and I'm hoping it's, it's going to turn out that way. Yes, all of the best, all of the best with this new opportunity. Thank you. So let's let's look at this because, you know, when I came across that video, I shared it with anybody and everybody that I thought would uh, benefit from it, would be keen in paying closer attention and, you know, implementing change in their own homes and in uh, by extension in society. Um, and I was curious about why you have devoted so much of your life and your life's work to understanding masculinities um, and gender dynamics. Well, there's, a, I guess, there's a, there's a story, perhaps more than one story, but about 20, more than 20 years ago when I started, I was a much younger back then, and I started reading about, in particular, um, black people's struggles for freedom. One thing that struck me quite a bit was something that was not as clear as it should have been back then, that even the best minds that I would tend to in thinking about what does it mean to be free as a black person, never quite um, got around to the question of, of what uh, what is what is the internal kinds of conflicts, struggles, desires for freedom within within the race? So uh, I'm I'm referring to people like Fanon, who came from Martinique, went to France, ended up in Algeria, who I I return to uh, many times when I'm thinking about uh, black desires, relationships between between the races, but also other kinds of work. I'm thinking about. Steve Biko in particular here at home, uh, a, a small piece that he wrote, for instance, called We Blacks. And it struck me that Biko is not, is always addressing himself to black people, but actually he's talking only about black men. Where are the black women here? Um, mm -hmm. And I could give you a lot of other examples, W.E.B. Du Bois in America. So all the giants of thinking around the world, around blackness, black freedom, black struggles, and I, and and I, not to not to forget people in the African National Congress, Tambo, uh, Governor Big, who had written all those books. So, 
it struck me that there's a there's a lacuna, there's a gap uh, about thinking of myself and thinking of 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 women who I then began to read quite a lot, and they were there if you, if you just paid attention. Who were saying, well, part of our struggles as as black women is is racism, yes, but also the sexism within the race. So. Mm-hmm. Right from get go, then I start saying, "What well, this is one area I, even while I'm paying attention to violence, to homicidal violence, the violence of racism, I need to think a lot, a lot more about because I I, I realize that that you are talking about what is called gendered violence, and then mm-hmm. over the years I'm trying to find the sources of this violence, and and about five five years ago I say, well." Family is an important side of thinking. Well, there's there's other sides, right? But like school, like the military, like the liberation struggle, that racism I mentioned, but also one of the biggest sides is family. Family is not only a sanctuary, a haven, but can also be violent itself. Mm, Absolutely. Um, And this is actually where our understanding of so many aspects of the world um, are developed within families. Um, and talking about gender, many of us grew up uh, with an understanding of gender roles, gender identities. Men do what they are expected to do and women do what they're expected to do. And at the same time, now for this generation, there's a lot to unlearn in an effort to create a more gender equal society. And it was an interesting question that you posed as a team to say, yes, we've studied the relationship between gender inequality and violence in South Africa. But how about we look at where things do work? Um, because when we have these conversations on the radio, you'll find sometimes find people saying, this is so abstract at times and you're not telling me how. I'm interested in the how. How do I, you know, become a different father or different husband or different man in the world um, and, and so on? And I thought that was... Uh, a a refreshing approach to look at where there is egalitarianism within families um, and what they're doing differently. And I'm, I'm, this, we we can spend so many, many hours because yes, we we started to think about it. So one of the, one of the uh, quite influential pieces of writing um, recently from about 2002 in South Africa is a, is was produced by by my former colleagues at the medical research councils that show, medical council which showed that um about 24 percent of south african men have admitted to raping uh, that's a huge number that's like a, a massive but one of the things that they do in the sets of work that they would do was to indicate that men's violence against women so gender-based violence uh, sexual violence is related to gender inequality. And there's a lot of that work uh, on gender inequality uh, here in South Africa, but also around the world and part of, of other networks um, uh, around the world. But the more you think about this, is what, this is something quite striking in our country. I mean, from about 1994, um, uh, so 1996 in particular, if you take the constitution, the word equality features quite a lot there. Mm-hmm. Um, we are not uh, very uh, thorough, detailed, uh, as your question indicates, about so how do people become equal? So there's a moment that comes in your struggle for freedom or equality. Says, Today you're equal. Today you can vote. 
but really uh, there's something that you need to know. So how do you become equal um, in, in a relationship? And one of the, in this, in this documentary, uh, the, uh, to again answer your question a different way, one of the, one of the people we, we spend time with, he says, well, and he says something quite interesting. He said, you get into a heterosexual relationship in particular. And, and if it's as if you, you, you are entering into roles. So, uh, there's a male and, and female roles, uh, that people, uh, seem to get stuck into. And those roles are never equal, by the way, unless you renegotiate them, unless right at the beginning you say, this is how I want to be in this relationship, in this family. And it starts, by the way, quite early in life about how you teach your daughters, your sons, how we are taught in townships and villages about. So what does it mean to be equal? And, and, and you can never have a, a relationship that is, that is free, that is, uh, that, uh, where you have violence, as another person says, is almost impossible if it's not free. But this is a really key thing. Unless, unless you are free, your relationship is always under this threat of violence because you can never say everything or anything you want. And that's a key thing that we tend to miss if we only pay attention to the ending gender inequality. We have to do this other thing, that how to be free in a relationship. Because if you don't have this freedom, somebody is always setting limits for you about what you can be, what you can do, where you can go, how you can dress, and so on. Yes. And the even deeper questions, I think, that it leads to, you know, about why the exist, existential questions that it almost extends to, because you're more than a role. Uh, you're more than a husband. You're more than a title, more than a wife. You know, you're here to achieve your life's purpose, I would like to think, if we're going to take it further into that kind of philosophical uh, um, realm of things about life and its meaning and its purpose. And we can all do that in different forms, of course. But just to come back to this uh, issue, you spent time within families, um, looking at feminist families, gender egalitarian families, and anti-patriarchal families, um, and observing how they communicate values around masculinities and femininities. What were those takeouts that of what they're doing differently? Because in order in doing this masterclass one of the things that I wanted to make sure our listeners walk away with is the actual how and what is being done in families that are that are working towards equality. Perhaps the biggest one we can start with, I mean, this is constant, you hear it constantly, is this word negotiation. That's a, that's a big thing, that uh, you enter into a marriage or a relationship and you find these roles uh, you have to renegotiate them. You have to negotiate them. And one of the things I speak to a, a, another radio person, a friend of mine, is precisely this. It feels as if, you know, one of the things that I would do if I'm not doing what I'm doing is to have what churches used to have. But now, this is feminist churches. Uh, there are no such churches. But you'd say, well, people, before they enter into a relationship or a marriage, they have to to, to talk, to negotiate. What is it? that I want, that I don't want. So you have to do this. So negotiation is a huge thing. For instance, uh, the Mashua family, who uh, I must mention, I subsequently absolutely fell in love with, with, uh, with, uh, with that family. They have three daughters now. They had two daughters at the time. They say this, and, 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 the, and the 
male partner, the husband, is a is a, a philosopher, a divinity scholar, and a churchman, and the and the and the uh, Lusanda uh, uh, is a working was a working man. They say, well, when they entered this and they entered with the ideas, they realized that this is not working for them. That the man does this, the woman does this. Uh, somebody cooks, somebody else works outside the house, and they had to talk about this. But this is not working. We are trying this, but it doesn't work for us. And in practical terms, it means this. If, for instance, if two people are working, and this is one particular kind of family, and then you, as the because of the gender rules, what men do, what males do, you come home, you pick up your paper, and the and the person who's in the role of the wife has to cook. You're, both of you have spent eight, whatever, how many hours at work. I mean, that's basically an unfairness, an inequality. So uh, mm. you have, if you are being fair, if you are just, and if you want equality, that we're all equal, we're both tired, you have to renegotiate these rules. So mm. uh, that's, the, that's the one thing, this thing, this big thing about negotiation. Um, uh, similarly about, you, you can take another example, about who takes the children to school. And again, the same, the same family was talking about, uh, and I know it also outside of the research in my personal life, that the, the, the m- many men, most men even, uh, don't do this, this, this thing of going to school or, or going even to clinics. So right there, what, what already happens there, you, you start to realize that if you step outside of these roles, that women take children to the clinic, the hospital or to school, to the parents' meeting, and men are away. Uh, if, you're, if you're paying attention, you're a critical citizen yourself, you realize there's something unfair, an, an unfairness right there. And, and it, it's unequal, it's unjust. So again, it comes back to this idea of, of negotiation, of who does what at home, so that we can have a, it's called in, in, in more technical time, uh, terms, time use. What is the, mm-hmm. How do we use our time together? in a more equitable, more equivalent way, so that we all have the leisure, the spare time, and the, and the work, and we still do the work that we need to do at home and at work. Hmm. Yes, I remember that couple also quite distinctly, um, and the fact that they have found their own balance, they've navigated in, in their own way through all of this. Um, and it made me also think about the notion of family, as you say, that this is looking at a heterosexual relationship, a family born out of a heterosexual relationship. But when we think of families, there's a high single mother trend in South Africa. Um, and in that case, you find mothers raising children um, without fathers in the home. Sometimes it's the, the women of the family raising children, the grandmother, the mother, maybe there's an aunt or a cousin there as well with their children in the home. Uh, and curious about how um, the feminine and the masculine roles are also uh, or values are communicated in those contexts. I do have to take a break, Prof, as much as I, I, I wanted to get into that question. Um, maybe let me keep my hygiene uh, good on the show this afternoon because our news is coming up uh, in a moment and it's coming from Cape Town. So we've got to take the headlines um, but- at 2.30. 
So my guest this afternoon, if you've just joined us, is Professor Kopano Ratele. He's a professor of psychology now at Stellenbosch University, and he has worked for many years researching masculinities um, from a South African context, of course, along with other colleagues around the world. Um, and we'll continue to uh, explore this question of how the family unit, the family unit is a powerful and important building block in achieving gender equality in our society and what gender egalitarian families are doing differently. 702 Masterclass. We will be taking your comments on your questions as we look at families as a site of uh, changing gender, gender dynamics in South Africa. And this is through the research that has been done by Professor Kopano uh, Ratelo over the years with many of his colleagues. And some of their recent work just prior to the lockdown had to do with looking at uh, gender equal families and how these families are practicing the values of gender equality, what they are doing differently. And just before the headlines, uh, the professor had taken us through some of the more notable things that are present in these families that they spend time time with. Uh, and my question was really about different, the, the compositions of families are so varied and so different. And so what can we take out of how differently constituted families are imparting values around femininities and masculinities? Um, Prof, considerations on that? Yeah, I mean, I should say this at the beginning. I mean, this, we, I am now in the, uh, uh, another study that's, that uh, that uh, is uh, so so let me let me just say this so the first first iteration of the studies we had uh, looked at uh, all kinds of families religious families mm-hmm. traditional families feminist families antipatriarchal families single families complex families extended families nuclear families so we we went out and wanted to see the differences and we categorized all these families into into really uh, for ourselves into two two broad categories, what you might call slash traditional families. Um, so families where you have a mother, a father, and children, but also traditional in values. They believe that there are roles of men and women, and they tended to be uh, culturally traditionalist or religious families. Uh, most of these families. On the other side, we had families that we where we we would be. Uh, uh, much more interested in in later studies. These are feminist uh, f- feminist families, egalitarian families, democratic families, if you will. So, um, mm-hmm. the question you're asking me: one of the families in this in this uh, in the in the film is is uh, a family from from Kailicha, uh, is a as a mother and 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 her children, but also there are as an extended part, so extended families to the, to these families. Now, one of the things that I, I really, we really battled with, with Rebecca Hellman um, is finding, first of all, uh, poor families, poor families that are feminist, but also uh, I want to be on camera. So although we had interviewed them, we had done all kinds of work, but they don't want to appear on camera for, for whatever reason. I understand because we have, it's quite a, a, a dedication. We had to spend a long time with these families. So in that family, what she says is something a second takeaway in addition to, to, to negotiation. And this is quite important. Um, the, the thing is that you have to do this lesson. You have to teach your children. You have to instruct them about uh, the basic skills of, of living. 
And if you are going mm-hmm. to live alone or with another person, you have to cook for yourself, clean for yourself, uh, do your bed. And that's a really important thing. This, this instruction we give to this. By the way, this is something that, that, that poor families, black families, families all over the world that even traditional families do. Teaching children, mm-hmm. you have to do this, um, which is an interesting part about it. So teaching children, uh, I would extend it, teaching them about critical thinking, about questioning, about asking questions about uh, gender, sexuality, about desires and, and the rest and the rest of it. So absolutely, in South Africa, uh, another set of studies that are, are not here uh, on fatherhood tells you precisely this, and I'm part of them, that, that over 60% of, of of children don't live with their biological. Biological is important because they live with other men, but they're biological fathers. And that's quite important. It means the burden of caring, of teaching, of nurturing, of teaching children this falls on women and single women in particular. And if uh, I, I say this here, I say it elsewhere. If you have ever spent uh, time with a child, not just in, on, a, on a, any single day, but in a month, a year uh, with a child, it is a lot of work. And men know this. At the back of their mind, men know this. That's why they, they check out of taking care of children. The trouble is if they check out of, of, of actually being co-resident with children, they're also affecting the life chances of that child going forward. Mm-hmm. So those absent, present yet emotionally absent and unavailable fathers have kind of checked out and don't participate in those responsibilities that have largely been seen as um, part of the female role. Men go out there, provide, uh, you know, buy food, put shelter over our heads and so on, and values and the the interiority, you know, the, the stuff that is that makes character, that a child's values, the integrity, all of that is the stuff that women are supposed to then build into in or impart into children uh so and so by doing that then there is this emotional unavailability or distance even though they're in the home absolutely and then in in just being that way children pick this up boys and girls right. um, uh, in this in the studies we have been doing and as i said we do we do in-depth studies but also do large surveys asking about mm. who does what how much time do you spend doing this, reading to children, doing the chores, and, and that sort of stuff. So if you spend uh, time uh, in this kind of work that went into this, in this particular form in the studies, you, you start to, to, to recognize something. Uh, you don't have to be a researcher. You can just spend time watching what happens in the evening when people come home. And you will see that the, mm-hmm. the woman stands a lot of time. Most families, the woman is standing there. And they are, that's, that's time. Where the, the men are elsewhere, whether they, whatever it is that they, that we do as as men. So children pick this this cues up. Girls uh, verbally, but also just by watching who does what. And then uh, the the sad part for me, I mean, this is this is beyond research. The sad part, but it's it's research, it's it's studied scholarship, but it's precisely where do we think that that boys pick up nurturing habits? Uh, so mm-hmm. habits of taking each other. So when somebody cooks for you, they're already doing this part of nurturing. So you as a man, you say, well, my dad comes home and, and, and maybe earns uh, more money. Maybe uh, earns more money, uh, even if they don't. But they come home, they, they sit there. And, and some of the things you would hear, for instance, one family that's not in the firm that we, we spoke to. This woman uh, 
between when we set up the interview and when we talk to her, she says, my, my boyfriend, the father of this child has left. And we say, so what did he do when he was around? And, and she says something that is really heart-wrenching. She says, you know, I would get 10 minutes just to go and see my mother. 10 minutes. So this man's contribution is for 10 minutes. They would look after the child. And I think this is such a sad. How can you cheat yourself that somebody who spends 10 minutes helping you is really mm-hmm. pulling their weight in a, in, a, in a relationship? So precisely that men can, can check out, can, be, can sit somewhere else when some people are doing the work in the kitchen or making up beds or, or doing whatever it is that's part of nurturing the chores in the family. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the idea is we, you'd have to turn this. You'd have to turn this if you want a good, uh, if you want to have a, a relationship that's more equal. You'd have to turn and renegotiate the roles that you, you want to have in the relationship. And in that yes. way, you're modeling for children how you can have a different relationship. Mm. And I guess once you've you've uh, done um, the negotiation, what has to form part of that conversation has to be how the children will be raised. So you're negotiating, you are modeling all of this behavior yourselves, but sometimes you will find that there could be mixed messages to children and perhaps parents have not are not on the same page about certain certain ideal certain ideas around masculinity and femininity. A mom would be quick to be accepting of a boy crying, for instance, and the father would communicate another message that message that says, you don't do that. You know, that breaks the boyhood code that boys must be strong, emotionless, tough and, and you know, take it on the chin and so on. So there would also have to be agreement, surely, in um, what sort of values are imparted onto children beyond what they see. I I don't uh, you know really say this just for the habit, but I really love this precisely this question. And one of the ways that I uh, in reflecting on the date and all of that is is precisely this. So if you enter into a marriage, a family, and relationship, and you have not quite resolved this part about so how do we want to raise children? I mean, it's never really too late in one sense, but it can be a little a little late uh, to say well. I, I, I believe that uh, boys have to be strong. I believe girls have to you know, want to be married or, or something like that. And if you are too far apart and you, you can't even allow yourself to renegotiate your own ideas about what men and women are, and there's, there's already a trouble brewing there. Somebody's going to lose and they might not like that. So precisely, you, you're quite, quite mm. right. And, and, and the, the relationships where... where uh, the, the partners are far apart about the kinds of people they want to to raise. Uh, already have the, it, it becomes part of the, some of the problems that they have. Um, and and perhaps I should add one other. I, I mentioned negotiation. I mentioned this teaching modeling. And one of the things is this idea of reflection. I mean, we see this in studies again, uh, studies of of, of gender, masculinity, and femininities. One of the things that 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 really works in in trying to change norms amongst men in a village or wherever it is is to give them space to reflect about their own practices so you have to show them different kinds of models of masculinity you do this this is what you think about men are can we just reflect Mm -hmm. on this and and this ongoing practice of reflecting on your own practice so the practice of reflecting on your practice on your own ideas about uh, whether boys have to go out and fight and by the this is hard work i mean this is uh, as a parent 
sometimes you get impatient with you, with your children because you want to, them to do one thing. And then if you have already taught them this question, and they would question consistently, but you have to reflect, what is it that making me impatient? I think I want them to do what they want them to do right now. Uh, and uh, so it's, it, if you have not learned to reflect on your own habits of, of listening, of, of being impatient, of how you want to be a parent, it can go mm. south quite quickly. Hmm. Um, so if we then uh, share these values, remodeling these values within the home, we know and what we see in, for instance, Dr. Maloselanga's book, Becoming Men, um, and I know you you um, were involved in the work that he did for that work, for, for that book, and we've spoken to him here as well, uh, Becoming Men, Black Masculinities in a South African Township, and I'm going to remind our listeners that the book was about um, the lives of 32 boys you know, he spends time, he follows these boys over um, their teenage years, over 12 very important seminal years in their lives and how they negotiate manhood and masculinities. Very, very fascinating reading. It's important reading. Um, we also know that masculine identities are shaped by forces that are external, that are outside of the home. Um, how do we manage for that? You know, what they will encounter within their circle of friends and in schools and elsewhere from Uncle X or, you know, uh, Dad's friend Y? How do we negotiate around those forces and how they might help shape this, these masculine identities? Yes, uh, Malos' work, uh, and, and we are doing uh, recent studies on, on masculinities and femininities at university with, with, uh, with Professor Langa, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a good collaborator. Of, of of mine, and that and that book, uh, particularly the last uh, all of the book, but towards the end he starts doing this this work to tell you about about how some of the, the young men, the boys that he started with, uh, end up uh, at other places that that made him as a researcher and a man an older man sad, and but quite right. I mean, you you could do all this reflection, this negotiation or this habit of negotiation, this modeling, and your child can, can, can still end up um, where you want them not to end up, precisely because you're not the only influence in their lives. There's television, there's peers. But Marlos's work in particular is focused and, and shows this. When you read it close, you start to see that the environment in which this young man grow up also needs, needs a lot of, of uh, uh, structural work, if you will. So work by, by forces beyond an individual or beyond a family. And that's precisely this. So every time I compare, I write and I compare and with colleagues around the world, it says, you know, if you take two, two uh, families or two, let's take two individuals, one is growing up in, in Stockholm, one's growing up in Johannesburg. And the effort to, to just get to, to have a successful a life as a man in Johannesburg is much more because precisely the structural conditions in Stockholm and Johannesburg are so different. So, um, in you know, in one sense, to 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 be a to have this, if you will, let's use the term, to achieve a successful masculinity in in, in South Africa in Johannesburg, demands a lot from individuals because the society itself uh, push puts barriers, but wittingly or unwittingly, in the way of in which we live. And precisely. So I could do. I could be a family in Alexander trying to raise a good young man, a boy to be a, 
to be egalitarian, but because the work outside of the yard of, of uh, Avenue 15 and example, the work that he's uh, and the people that he meets are not in the same in the same environment because we are we, we have this density this aggregated to social disadvantage that surrounds us uh, is so much harder and so I, in one sense I'm agreeing with you that that they said you you did need to do a, a lot more work and what you end up in South mm-hmm. Africa are these bubbles basically bubbles of equality so certain spaces you can find this equality but all around mm-hmm. is this uh, is violence, it is inequality that surrounds you. That's not a very ideal society to live in because the work is both harder for people inside the bubbles, but also how do you countenance, how do you live knowing that outside of the bubbles, people are living lives where they have to work so much harder just to be poor. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, there's still so much more to unpack, but in the two minutes that I left, I think I wanted your thoughts on the whole package of equality because this cannot simply end with uh, gender equality. There's a whole package, in fact, to consider around not only race, but disability and ability, um, sexual, sexuality, gender expression. All of these also equally need to be values uh, that form part of this package. Indeed. Uh, so much, so much. Uh true one of the people i i, I who i am i'm really proud to have to have been a teacher to is a, is now a lecturer at, at the university of uh, cape town uh, dr mandy samaling always questions me about this and and she says well mm. you know you middle class people and, and she's middle class but she says you middle class people always uh, uh and she her work is around precarity how yeah, many men uh, live lives of precarity they they have precarious work mm. meaning informal work that's that's not mm. uh, protected she said well of course when you're middle class you can speak about gender equality and i'm absolute i said no well it's true but it's, it's not true in my case when i think about gender equality i'm thinking in relation to racial equality and and much more so economic equality there are other kinds of equality sexual equality geo- mm. e- equality around geography where you live uh, that's why most people would move from rural areas to urban areas because that's where the services are. So, indeed, uh, you can, you mustn't, if even you can, you, you should try to avoid to think about equality, uh, uh, gender equality on its own because it overlaps these other uh, inequalities. Economic inequality is even, is, uh, sits starkly as, as a challenge to gender equality. So it's, uh, uh, sometimes, many times in South Africa, racial inequality because they overlap each other, um, and 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 you can see it in other countries such as the U.S. where where police brutality, which is racist equality, uh, inequality, racist injustice, tends to affect black men and black women much more than other other kinds of groups. Mm. So precisely, we have to think about this in relation to each other. Yes, and it all starts by talking, talking about gender. Uh, talking about racial equality, talking about uh, all the, the entire package that you've just outlined. Um, and it's not easy. It's not easy for many people to to unlearn and to model new behavior. And on top of that, to address this through conversation. Prof, I want to thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Um, this work, I think, is is important work, obviously. And it's important that you've put it out in a way that audiences can engage with, see themselves in the families that you, whose lives you reflect. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Azania.